if you don't mind, church, I know, I know we're, always, we're always pretty pressed for time. Uh, but if you don't mind, just stand with me one more time. And this, this is going to be really unconventional, right? But I want, you, I want you to just think with me for a moment of some of the ways. Uh, we, we can't even begin to think about all of the ways, but just think with me for a moment about some of the ways that God has been good to you, you specifically. So I, I just want you to just, just close your eyes. Just close your eyes. Let's, let's be people who follow instructions. Just close. <laughs> just close your eyes. Maybe you're somebody that God has blessed with, a husband. And if you've been blessed with a husband, say amen. Amen. Maybe you've been blessed with a wife. If you've been blessed with a wife, say amen. Amen. There are couples who have been married for years and haven't had the opportunity to rear kids of their own. But maybe you are the couple that God was able to bless with an offspring from your womb. If that's you, say amen. If you weren't able to bring children into this world from your own body, but you've been blessed to have helped raise a child, help raise someone, help take care of someone, If that's been you and God has blessed you that way, say amen. Does everybody here have a house? Does everyone here have clothing? Do do you have to go and find a, a, a soup kitchen when service is over to find a meal or stand at a roadside or a corner with a sign that says, I'll, uh, I'll wash your car for $5. God has blessed us in, in so many ways. Open your eyes up. I said this was going to be unconventional, right? But God has blessed us in so many ways. I, I want you to just take a moment with me and just give God a round of applause for just how good, just how good. Is, 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 that, is that all? Now, now that you thought about it, and you realize just how good God is, could we just amp up a little bit of praise? Could we just give God a good round of applause? He's, he's been good. You, you could say praise God. You could say hallelujah. We, we serve. Don't stop. Don't stop. Don't, don't stop praising him. Don't, don't stop praising him because... We, we love the blessing. Don't stop saying hallelujah. Don't stop giving him the praise because we love it when we get the bonus check. We, we love it when we get the promotion. We love it. We love it, we love it, we love it. We serve, we serve, we serve. We serve, we serve an awesome God. We, we love when the blessing comes. But we need to learn to love to bless the blesser. And so as we think about that, I, wanna, I want you to know this morning the sermon. You could go ahead and have your seats. I want you to know this morning that the sermon, uh, the sermon is going to be rough. 
This sermon is going to be uh, one of the hardest sermons I've, I've, I've shared all month long. And as a result of that, I want you to keep in mind just how good God has been to you. Because sometimes when we get to these difficult messages, sometimes when we get to the, the, harder, the harder things to listen to, we, we sometimes close our ear. But I want to encourage us to just be mindful that we do serve an awesome God. We do serve a great God. And we do serve a God who has our, our best at heart. Growing up in the Caribbean uh, was always an interesting experience, and if you know somebody from the Caribbean, uh, that's good because you would be able maybe to ident identify with this, and if not, I encourage you to find a friend that was born and raised in the Caribbean. Growing up in the Caribbean was interesting as a child because I had parents and grandparents uh, who applied various methods of motivation to me. Uh, and if you are a child, usually there are three methods that parents would employ to encourage you as a child to make sure that you would have done what they suggested and commanded, for example, in the household. I want to share with you these three, these three methods that parents would use in the Caribbean. Uh, and I ask you to keep an open mind because some of these methods might be frowned upon in today's society, but I want you to keep an open mind. Method number one, the first method that parents would have often employed would have been considered, and I've labeled these, uh, number one, the bribing method. Say bribing. bribing. All right, good. This method involves a very promising and tangible incentive to do what you as the child were told to do. An example of this bribe might have sounded something like this. My, my grandmother would call me and she would say, Patterson, could you, could you wash the dishes while I am out and I'll bring home some cake for you when I come back? By this stage in, in our relationship here, you guys know how much I love cake. So the minute I hear cake, I was incentivized to go and do whatever she had asked me to do. And so, so that method often works as a parent when you understand your child and you know what the child likes. And so in order to get the child, to inspire the child, to motivate the child to do some chores at home, you employ the bribing method. Say bribing. Secondly, we have another method that's used and employed in the Caribbean. It's called the... <laughs> Ask sweetly, sweetly method. If, if I were in the Caribbean, I would use the word or the term mama guy. Say mama guy. You, you've, just, you've just learned what it means to sweet talk. And so you, you, you would hear oftentimes if you come to Trinidad or the Caribbean, you would hear people talk about mama guying or mama gizm. I know the translators are having problems right now trying to articulate what word that is, but that, that simply means sweet talk goyo. And so the second method is a method that is employed that's called the sweet talk method, or the buttering up, if I have to bring it local to our US culture. This method involves the use of a flurry of good adjectives. Buttering up in the Caribbean might sound something like this, and excuse me while I do this. 
So my grandmother would call me or my mother would call me and in her attempt to butter me up or to mama guy, it's, it sounds something like this. Mama, best and loving son, just wash the dishes for your hard-working mother, please. The unsuspecting child, upon hearing those adjectives in quick succession, becomes giddy with endorphins and in a zombie-like manner, goes to accomplish the task that they are asked to do. It's called the buttering up method. So if the bribing method didn't work, now you had the buttering up method where all these adjectives are put together and the child is just giddy with joy to go and do this particular task. You throw in hard working, you throw in loving, you, you throw in all those nice adjectives and the child is incentivized to go and do what they have been told to do. I implore you to try the bribing method, but don't always do it. I implore you to try the buttering up method because the third method could be a bit harsh. <clears throat> the third method is what I have coined or, 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 or labeled, I know we spoke about labels, but the third method is called the stubborn donkey method. Huh. You, you already know I'm going with this, you southerners. <laughs> Almost every single child in the Caribbean has had this method applied to them. And if they have not, that means they have been good kids. <laughs> the stubborn donkey method, for those of, of you who are familiar with with how a donkey operates. There are times when a donkey will move on their own free will. There are times when a donkey has to be coaxed to move. That's the, the carrot on the stick type of approach. But then there are times when the donkey has to be made to move because of its stubbornness. And the way in which the, the animal is made to move is by inflicting some type of prodding or pain to the behind. And so if you, you haven't yet understood where I'm going with this, there are times when you think about as a parent, there are times when the bribing doesn't work, there are times when the coaxing doesn't work, there are times when the buttering up doesn't, doesn't work, and you have to use a method that hurts the child, but it also brings some emotional pain to you as a parent. Now, I know we've heard the saying, whenever you see it on television, and, and there, is, there is about to be something, some real discipline to be had, the parent makes a statement, this hurts, this, is, this hurts me more than it does you. Uh, there might be some validity to that, if you're talking about emotional pain. <laughs> But I am the one that's receiving these lashes. I am the one that's receiving this paddling. And I'm hoping you have an open mind because I know for all intents and purposes in our culture, there is a stigma attached to paddling. Not gonna get much emails on this. There, there, there is a negative connotation attached to whooping a behind. And let me just say this, if not done in the right motive, if not done in the right way, you go from discipline to abuse. I'm not talking about abuse. I'm talking about discipline 
Almost every parent understands that these are modes of discipline to help the child, to motivate the child to do what the parent had instructed that child to do. Let me show you, church, for those of us who, who know what I'm talking about. Anybody here ever get licks growing up? Everybody look around because I want you to understand this is a church who believes in some good old-fashioned discipline. <laughs> if you're watching online, this is a church that believes in some good old-fashioned discipline. Put your hands down. Put your hands down. And so my grandmother growing up, she understood that there were times when, when my will didn't align with her will, and so the only way that it was possible for me to have been moved and motivated to accomplish her will was at times employing measures harsh on me physically, harsh on her emotionally, to help me come out of my stubbornness. And I want you to keep in mind the scripture reading Hebrews chapter number 12, verses 4 through 11, because what the Hebrew writer there is saying is that we need to understand that when we as Christians go through not necessarily hardship, but he calls it periods of discipline, periods of chastising, he says God is still a good God because if it is he wasn't a good God, if he wasn't a good father, when we were going astray, he just would not care. So there are times when God has to stop being the incentivizer in terms of bribing us with things. There are times when God has to go past the sweet talk and, and talking about I'm a loving God and I'm a good God, I'm a giving God. There are times because of our stubbornness. God says I have to employ this third method. It's going to hurt you physically, but it breaks my divine and holy heart to do it. Do you think that it pleases God to, to see us go through these moments of pain? Do you think it pleases God when he, he, in the Old Testament, for example, he would have had to send plagues or he would have, he would have had to have done things to break in? Do you think it pleased God as you read from Scripture to see God engage with his people in such, such harsh and negative ways? But because he's a loving God, there's at times where he has to get us to the point of learning what it means to submit wholeheartedly. We will never learn how to submit at times until we are broken. We will never learn how to submit at times until submission is all we have. We will never really learn to submit to God in a way that says, God, you are my all and, and everything that I have is yours until all you have is God. And so at times in order for us to submit, at times in order for us to really find ourselves being in a position of humility, he has, he has to break us. In the book of, of Acts chapter number one, where our scripture reading was taken from Acts, for all intents and purposes, is a two-volume work of this individual called Luke. He is writing to one called Theophilus, and while there are several reasons people might speculate as to why he writes his gospel account, Luke, and why he writes this, this, this historical account, the book of Acts, one thing we can conclude as you, come, as you think about the compilation of this work, both Luke and Acts, is that Luke is intent on showcasing Jesus' ministry as well as identifying the spread of the church from Jerusalem to what Jesus would call the end 
or the uttermost part of the, of, of the world, which is, for all intents and purposes, would have been Rome at the time. But I want us to notice as we think about what's happening in this particular chapter, and I'm going somewhere with this, as you think about what's happening in this particular chapter, come down with me to verse number seven of Acts chapter number one. And we will do this really quickly. It's my intent to really be on time today, so we'll do this really quickly uh, as we think about the message on this morning. In verse number seven of Acts chapter number one, here is what it would say. And he said to them, speaking about Jesus, it is not for you to know the time or the season which my father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Check this, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem. Say Jerusalem. In Judea, say Judea. In Samaria, say Samaria. And the uttermost part of the earth. This was going to be your duty when you were blessed with power from on high. So this was a moment, the, the, the moments leading up to Jesus ascending back to the Father, and he is giving his disciples some final instructions. I want you to go, check the, check the instructions really carefully. He says, I want you to go in Jerusalem and wait. That's instruction number one. So when you get into Acts chapter number two, where are they? They are in Jerusalem and they are waiting. Why? Because the Lord told them, go to Jerusalem and wait until you are imbued with power from on high. You guys with me? So within the confines of this command, there were a couple commands that Jesus would have given them. Number one, he tells them, wait. Say wait. So he tells them, you wait in Jerusalem until you have been blessed with power from on high. So we find ourselves in Acts chapter number 2. Jesus has ascended now, and we find ourselves in Acts chapter number 2. And Acts chapter number 2 starts something like this. And on the day of Pentecost, they were all together in one accord in one place. And the Holy Ghost fell on them with cloven tongues like as and it filled all the house where they were sitting, and they began to speak with other tongues. Other tongues there, for all intents and purposes, was not gibberish. Other tongues there were languages that were spoken on the face of the earth. So there were dwellings some there, Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, dwellers in Mesopotamia. And it gives a list of about 18 different regions of people that had converged from their homeland and come down to Jerusalem. All of these individuals heard the disciples preaching in their own tongue, their own languages, the wonderful works of God. I'm going somewhere with this. But remember, Jesus in verse number 8 of chapter number 1 said, you need to wait in Jerusalem until you are, have been imbued with power from on high and you will be, check this, witnesses to me or of me in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and the uttermost part of the earth. They didn't have a problem waiting in Jerusalem. But you would look and you would notice in chapter 2, they were in Jerusalem. In chapter 3, they were in Jerusalem. In chapter 4, they were in Jerusalem. In chapter 5, Thomas, they were in Jerusalem. In chapter 6, I'll give you one guess as to where they were still. In Jerusalem. 
In chapter 7, they are still in Jerusalem. Jesus told them to wait in Jerusalem until you have been blessed with power from on high. That, that only suggests in my language that Jesus was saying, you go, stay, and when you get, go. You guys with me? Notice the command. Wait in Jerusalem until. In other words, when what you're waiting for happens or comes, it's time for you to go. <laughs> Do this one more time. Wait in Jerusalem until you have been blessed with power from on high. But when you have been blessed with power from on high, I need for you to move. And the reason why you are moving is because the task that I have mandated you with, as I've blessed you with the Spirit, is to go into all the world and to preach. The, does this sound familiar? Preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. The reason why you have to go is because it's a state of emergency and there are lives on the line. It's not time for us to be wasting time anymore. You, you've waited long enough. You've been blessed with the, power, with the power. You've been mandated. You've been commissioned. Now it's time, he says, to go. So hear the command one more time if you didn't understand it just yet. Hear the command one more time. I want you to go and wait in Jerusalem until you have been endued with power from on high and you shall be. In other words, when you are blessed with power, it's time for you to move. Move throughout Jerusalem. Move throughout Judea. Move throughout Samaria and go into the uttermost part of the earth. The sermon title this morning, and I'm almost done. The sermon title this morning is when God says, move, move. When God says move, move. As you think about getting into Acts chapter number seven, we find the person of Stephen. And Stephen stands before this council and he preaches a word. But this is a word that doesn't necessarily prick the hearts of the hearers to want to come to Jesus or want to believe in this gospel thing. It's a, it's a harsh word because if I accept this word, it means I'm going against the traditions that I've grown up accepting, believing, and walking in. So these individuals, these members of the council, the scribes, the Pharisees, and these religious folk that Stephen was speaking and preaching to in Acts chapter number 7, they chose when they were confronted with a choice to choose the gospel or maintain tradition, they chose to maintain tradition and not accept Jesus. To the extent that they had stoned Stephen at the end of the chapter. You guys with me? And so when you come to it, chapter number eight now, when you come to it, here's what I want us to see. In chapter eight, we find that a persecution had transpired in Jerusalem. A harsh persecution had started to take root and form with a person at the head, and that person was Saul of Tarsus. And so it tells us that Saul was right there, and he, in a means of consent, 
would have accepted the robes of, of the Jews that were there. They laid it at his feet only as an indication that we are doing this in the presence of you who, are our, who is our authority for this. So when they laid their garments at, at, at Saul's feet, who would be later on become Paul? When they laid their garments down at Saul's feet, it was an indication that Saul was a person at that time of authority. And so he consented to it, and so they stoned Stephen, they killed Stephen, and at the end of the day, in chapter number 8, it tells us that a persecution came upon the church, and the entire church was scattered abroad. I want you to see this. The only individuals who remained in Jerusalem, as far as being stable, were the elders and the apostles. Everybody else scattered from Jerusalem. But the scripture tells us that as they were scattered from Jerusalem, every single one that was scattered, they went preaching the gospel. They went preaching the good news. What are you saying, preacher? I'm saying that sometimes when we don't listen to God, or sometimes when we take our good time to sit down and rock back, when God has given us some instructions, he's going to rock the boat a little bit. Sometimes when we become too comfortable trying to do things our own way, God says, okay, you're comfortable. I've given you commands. You're not doing it the way I would like you to do it. I'm going to shake things up just a little bit. But here's the thing, we, we need to have spiritual eyes that's open enough to recognize, to recognize the handiwork and voice of Almighty God. Many individuals taking COVID-19, for example, many individuals, are, I've listened to a lot of people preach about COVID-19. I've heard a lot of televangelists, uh, you know, quote, quote passages and, and preach concerning COVID-19 as if to say the reason why it is COVID-19 happens is because, is because God is angry with the world. Well, that might be one way to look at it. How about if we look at it from an introspective standpoint? Maybe the reason why it is stuff might be happening around us is because the people who's, who's, who, who has been commissioned by God aren't doing what God commissioned them to do. So it's one thing to cast the blame on everybody else. It's the next thing to, to look at ourselves and recognize what is our part in the grander scheme of things. But you see, acceptance sometimes is difficult for the human being. Acceptance, and I know this all too well as a husband at times, acceptance that I might be a cause, I might be the reason for why we are going through what we are going through. That's hard for us. At times. And so in chapter 1, Jesus tells them, you wait until. But when you have been blessed with power from on high, I need for you to go. I need for you to spread this word everywhere. Check this. Peter was given, given the keys of the kingdom. And in Acts chapter number 2, Peter was the one to preach the very first gospel sermon. But when Jesus said... You shall be witnesses of me in Jerusalem. That's predominantly Jews. In Judea, we still have some Jews there. Samaria, mm, we started to push it now, Jesus, because the Jews didn't have interaction. You remember that John chapter number four when Jesus has the discourse with the woman at the well? Mm, Jesus, mm, Judea, uh, we were good at Judea. But then he says Samaria. 
And what Jesus is trying to help them to recognize is that this gospel is not so much of a geographical thing. I just need you to appreciate that this word that you have, this life-saving word, is not just about geography in as much as it's about people. There are people in Samaria. <laughs> you Jews, <laughs> there are people in Samaria. There are people in Asia. There are people in Rome. So he says, start in Jerusalem. And believe you me, it's hard to start at home sometimes. Anybody have family members who aren't members of the body of Christ? Anybody here have cousins or uncles or aunts, parents even, that have not accepted Jesus, but you are the Christian in your household? If we have to follow the pattern, look at what, what, what Jesus is saying. It starts first. You start first at home. Don't be too hurried to take the gospel to, to, to Timbuktu, but not willing to take the gospel and spread the gospel at home. Don't be, don't be rushing to spend money in, in some place that you have never visited or gone in your entire life. That's good. Not saying that that's wrong. But be hurried to share the gospel with enthusiasm. Spend some money. Spend some money right here at home. So he says Jerusalem. Then he says Judea, but Samaria, mm, Jesus, mm, I don't know too much. But let me show you why I was making that point with regard to the apostle Peter. Jesus said to Peter, I'll give to you the keys of the kingdom. That, that only indicates that Peter was going to be the one to usher both Jews as well as Gentiles into the saving embrace of Christianity. But notice this. Hmm. By the time you get to chapter 10 of the book of Acts, Peter is still struggling. Not that he didn't go to Samaria. We see that in chapter 8, right? Philip ends up in Samaria. That's where we have the, the encounter of Simon the sorcerer and, and all that kind of good stuff. But the word comes back to those elders and stuff that were in Jerusalem after everybody spread that the gospel had reached Samaria. And so, you know, they sent Peter and John, you remember that? And they made their way into Samaria. And that's where Simon the sorcerer saw that it was by the laying on of the apostles' hand was the Holy Spirit or the miraculous ability given Remember that account, and he wanted to give them some money and say, give me also that gift, and Peter had to rebuke him to the face. I want us to appreciate something. By the time you get to chapter number 10, God has to send Peter a vision three times. And this vision says, it, 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 it takes the form of this great white sheet with all of these animals in it, and God gives the instruction, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter says to, to God, at least three times, if this is the implication of the text, Peter says in the vision... No, not so, Lord, for I have never put anything common or unclean to my lips. Peter gets this vision three times. And by the time you work your way through Acts chapter number 10, you realize what's happening in Acts chapter number 10. But in chapter 9, Saul, who would later all, all become Paul, was converted. But then in chapter number 10, Cornelius and his entire household was converted. Watch this. I'm not saying that the gospel may not have reached eventually Cornelius and his household. I'm not saying that the gospel may not have necessarily uh, reached to Samaria and to Simon and those people in that area, you know, later on. But I'm saying 
It took so long that God had to shake up some stuff in order to get the Christians who were commissioned to go and do and spread the gospel that he had commissioned them to spread. Because everybody got comfortable in Jerusalem. But here is Peter. Peter helps us to recognize it's not really about geography, but it's about people. Peter helps us to see that as human beings, even as Christians, sometimes we struggle going past geography. Sometimes we also struggle engaging people. Watch this. Up until chapter 10, all of the people that Peter was dealing with were of a Jewish background. But now you get to chapter 10, and Peter is quickly realizing that salvation is not just for Jews, but salvation is for those same individuals that at one point, the Jews considered to be even dogs. So salvation is equally for both Jews as well as Gentiles. You guys with me? So Peter is recognizing not only do I have to look past geography, but I have to look past people groups. If it's good for me, it's also good for them. If it's great for me, it's supposed to be great for them. So Peter, in chapter number 10 of the book of Acts, and I promise you I'm always on, Peter in the, in the book of Acts, chapter number 10, he gets this vision three times, not because he didn't understand the intent of the vision, but because he was struggling, struggling to accept what that vision would have meant. So by the time the men come, God has to tell him, Peter, you go with those men and don't doubt anything. No sooner did Peter enter and his servants enter into Cornelius' household, no sooner did he announce himself, did the scripture tell us that the Holy Spirit as in chapter 2 in Jerusalem with them in the upper room. The Holy Spirit fell on Cornelius and his household the exact same way. And that for him was confirmation in his mind. He says, then I remembered, oh yeah. That for him was confirmation to him that both Jew as well as Gentiles were equal recipients in this saving grace thing. But in chapter 3, still in Jerusalem. Chapter 4, still in Jerusalem. Chapter 5, still in Jerusalem. Chapter 6, still in Jerusalem. Chapter 7, still in Jerusalem. What are you doing with, with us, God? I'm trying to help you to understand that sometimes I need to shake things up in order to help you to move. Would we all agree that sometimes we get comfortable in life? Would we all agree that sometimes we get comfortable in a place, in a space? I've been comfortable going harding for these years. I don't think I could go anywhere else. I'm comfortable in this job for however long. I don't think I could move. I've been comfortable in this relationship, even though it's toxic. I'm comfortable when God is saying, I want you to move. So it reminds me even as you think about what's happening here, it's, it's the reverse, actually if you think about it, of what actually transpired in, 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 in Genesis chapter number 9. 
In Genesis chapter number 9, we have Noah and his family. They come out of the ark, and God issues a command and instructions. Noah, I want you and your family to go out and multiply and replenish the earth. But by the time you get uh, through chapter 10, if, if you were good enough to read through chapter 10 in all that genealogy, they had expanded, their family had begun to expand and to grow and to grow and to grow. But by, by chapter number 11, they have grown so much and they have grown so much in appreciating each other that they were intent on staying in the same place. When God said, I want you to go and spread throughout the earth, they said in chapter number 11, let us make bricks. Let us stay here. Let us build a tower. Let us, let us, let us. It's almost, almost as if the, 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 the writer of Genesis is trying to paint the picture of, 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 of contrast when God said let us and when man says let us. So God said go into all the world, be multiply, be fruitful, replenish the earth. But they had determined, they had come together in unison, in concord, and they had made up their mind and they determined, let us stay. And God has to come and say, okay, all right, the people are one, the people are together. Unity doesn't always mean harmony of God's will. That's a hard saying. Because a people are united, it doesn't mean that they, that represents God's will. Could I be real? Could I be real? I hate I have to do this. If everybody accepts same-sex marriage, and everybody on the earth is in unison in accepting that relationship. Because we are in unison in accepting that relationship, that is not an indication that we are in harmony with God's will. So unity and concord in numbers doesn't translate to individuals who are following strictly and closely in adherence to the will of God. This is a clear indication in, in Genesis chapter number 11 that these individuals were together of one mind and of one accord. There was no division among these people, but their determination went against God's instruction. So they said, let us build, let us stay, lest we become scattered. And God said, okay, let me show you the real let us. So you make your way into chapter number 11, you make your way to chapter number 11, and you realize God will declare, let us go down. Let us confound them and their language. Let us scatter them. You want to see the real? Let us, let us has come down. And you know how that story ends up. They, they began to become scattered because people now started to speak different languages. And as you spoke a particular language, you, you partnered with somebody who sounded like you. And you went off into a distant place or a distant land. Fast forward now to the book of Acts. Jesus says, I want you to scatter. I want you to be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. You will be of me and to me in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and the autumn. I want you to scatter. You know what the church has done many times? We have said, let us. Let us stay together. We don't want to break up this group. We don't want to merge. 
We don't want to get together with, we, we've grown so accustomed. Gonna be real. We've grown so accustomed in our groups that we no longer entertain the thought of anything outside of that, even though the indication might be there for growth. We've become so saturated in doing the same thing over and over that here comes COVID, and now that COVID is kinda, kinda on going away a little bit and we are coming back, people are trying to get back to normal. What's normal? Are we trying to get back to what, where we were and what we were doing pre-COVID? When God is saying this is a perfect opportunity for you to shake things up and do things differently. I just want things to go back to normal. What, you want things to go back to normal? I thought we wanted to go to a different level. You want your, your faith to stay the same? I thought you wanted your faith to go a different level. You want your praise to remain the same? I thought you want to go to a different level. We want to go back to normal when God is saying, listen, I have told you it's time to move. But we have let, yet to learn the lesson, some of us. And so God not only employs the sweet talk method, God not only employs the incentivized bribing method, but there are times, whether it's individually or as a congregation, there are times when God has to employ that stubborn donkey method. Thomas, get up. I'm done. Thomas, I'm done. Let's all stand. I want to make this appeal. I have one point and one purpose for this entire message. I want to make this appeal to you. Don't wait until something bad happens to find yourselves and ourselves doing what we, we were commanded to do in the first place. They waited until persecution came to go into places like Samaria. It took persecution. It took people losing their life for the church that was in Jerusalem to spread throughout the then known world, a very command that God gave to the disciples that were in his presence before he ascended to be with the Father. You recognize it? It takes sometimes difficulty and hardship. It takes heartbreak. It takes losing a limb. It takes losing a life at times. It takes these things sometimes for God to shake us up and to move us. I want to implore everybody here, don't wait, husband, until something difficult happens for you to be a faithful man of God to your wife. Don't wait, wife, until something happens for you to become a faithful woman of God and a faithful... Don't wait until something happens to your parents' kids in order for you to be a good, loving kid to your parents. Don't wait, church, to lose a limb, to lose an eye, to, to, to be closely uh, to death or be bedridden. Don't wait for something bad to happen, to shake you up, to say, God, I want to serve you and I want to serve you wholeheartedly. Don't wait until your deathbed to call a pastor or preacher and say, could you come pray for me? That might be too late. Don't wait, you, don't, don't wait until your marriage is split to not be the most devoted man or woman that anybody has ever seen since, since the church began. Don't wait. Don't wait until these negative, these negative things happen for us to be faithful, devoted men and women of God. Repeat after me and I'm done. Start singing. When God says move. 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 Move.